and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the third hour of the program. You can be a part of it, 877-973-7425, should you like to do so. I want to start with a piece in the New York Times. The headline is The Vanishing Moderate Democrat. It shows a donkey with a unicorn horn. Their positions are popular, so why are they going extinct? Early last year, as Democrats were preparing to control the White House and Congress for the first time in a decade, Josh Gothheimer met with Nancy Pelosi to discuss the party's message. Sitting in the House Speaker's office in the Capitol, he opened up the YouTube app on his iPhone. There was something he wanted to show her. Gothheimer, who represented a wealthy suburban and ex-urban house district in northern New Jersey, first elected in 2016, his victory over a seven-term Republican incumbent in a district Donald Trump narrowly defeated Hillary Clinton, was one of the Democrats' few bright spots that year. Since his arrival in Washington, however, Gothheimer had been the cause of more headaches than celebrations for Pelosi and her leadership team. As co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, a group of 29 Democrats and 29 Republicans that chaotically aspires to the goal of bipartisan compromise, he has frequently found himself at odds with fellow Democrats on everything from foreign policy to Biden's domestic agenda to Pelosi's leadership. In 2018, Gothheimer and eight other Problem Solver Democrats threatened to reject Pelosi's bid for speaker if she didn't concede to their demand for rules changes that would make it easier for bipartisan ideas to be considered. That angered colleagues who viewed it as yet another instance of Gothheimer and his group engaging in pointless grandstanding rather than constructive behind-the-scenes work. Tell me a problem they've solved, Representative Susan Wilde. Democrat from Pennsylvania said. Pelosi, however, agreed to their demand and secured their support. Now she was willing to hear Gothheimer out on how the Democratic majority should position itself. He pressed play on the iPhone. A waving American flag was an image with a familiar voice proclaimed, I am honored to have been given the opportunity to stand up for the values and the interests of ordinary Americans. The video was a campaign ad from Bill Clinton in 1996. Over images of construction workers and children and police officers, a series of bold captions touted Clinton's first term, welfare reform, work requirements, tax cuts for 15 million families, death penalty for drug kingpins, and then his second term promises, banned cop killer bullets, capital gains tax cuts for homeowners, balanced the budget for a growing economy, we're safer and more secure and we're more prosperous. And Gothheimer looked at Pelosi and said, this is how we'll win again what he said. The most immediate question for Gothheimer and other moderate Democrats is whether it'll be enough in November in the midterm elections for what they've managed to accomplish, which isn't much. This year, with Democrats clinging to a 10-seat majority in the House, almost guaranteed to drop to nine with a special election in Nebraska yesterday, and by the way, it did drop to nine, most political handicappers expect Republicans to reclaim control of the chamber. The only real uncertainty is how much the big red wave will be. The bigger, more consequential question is whether the projected midterm wipeout is a cynical occurrence or the manifestation of a deeper, more intractable problem. 
on social, cultural, and religious issues, particularly those related to criminal justice, race, abortion, and gender identity. The Democrats have taken up ideological stances that many of the college-educated voters who make up the party's base cheer, but the rest of the electorate does not. The Democratic Party moved left, says Will Marshall, the president and founder of the Progressive Policy Institute, a moderate Democratic think tank. The country as a whole has not moved left. Turns out... The Democrats' leftward trend, whether real or perceived, is resoundingly popular with and often reinforced by the party's staff and activists. In other words, the Democratic Party base is getting rid of moderate Democrats. Republicans aren't beating them. The Democrats are beating them in primaries. And this is a problem for the Democrats, because as they move left, they run into all sorts of problems. One of the problems the Democrats are running into is this growing religiosity, because it's a religion that no one else shares with the new lexicon. You know what I'm talking about. Democrats, members of the press who affiliate with the Democrats, members of the left, you can out them in the press by how quickly they embrace phrases like pregnant people, birthing people, chest feeders. The American Academy of Pediatrics the other day announced uh, that doctors should consider using the phrase chest feeding instead of breastfeeding for households that might be diverse. It's the new speak, the pronoun games. The pick your pronouns, the pronoun identification. This is a secular religion rearing its head. And the secular religion does not like competition from traditional religion. The very same people outraged by a coach who might get to pray on the football field are exactly the same people who think that your kids should attend a drag queen story hour and you're a bigot if they don't. It's a religion. It is a religion with its own anthems and hymns and its new lexicon. I wrote about this yesterday. Do you know what the word propitiation means? Just just bear with me here. This isn't to be theological. It, it's to make a point about what's happening in society. Propitiation, the propitiation of our sins. Christ is the propitiation of our sins. It's a fancy word no one uses anymore. And consequently, even people in church don't really understand what it means. A propitiation is a substitutionary atoning sacrifice so that we can have a relationship with God. Christ is the propitiation of sins if you're a Christian. God himself provided for us a living sacrifice that we could make amends and be connected to God. He loves us and wants a relationship with us, but can't because of sin, so there had to be a propitiation for those sins. In the Old Testament, propitiation is the mercy seat. It's where the sacrifice was was done. Christ now is that mercy seat. He is where the sacrifice is done. Uh, His blood poured out for us. It's the propitiation of sins. Now, some, even Christian denominations, they don't use that word anymore. And so they've forgotten what it means. Uh, several years ago, there was controversy. There's a very now famous Christian hymn, but it's a very new hymn. It came out in the 2000s called In Christ Alone. And one of the lyrics in the second verse of In Christ Alone 
is uh, about on the cross. The till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, and the Presbyterian Church USA wanted to change that line to the love of God was magnified instead of the wrath of God was satisfied. And the hymn writer said, no, you can't because that fundamentally changes the theology. This was about satisfying the wrath of God on the cross, not not the love of God. And so the PCUSA dropped the hymn. They didn't put it in the hymn book because they couldn't change the line and the line would have fundamentally misunderstood what the propitiation of sins is. Camille Paglia, is an art history professor, I think City College in in Philadelphia. And she notes more and more, she encounters students who don't know who Moses was. For those of you who don't know who Moses was, he was the first and the greatest of the prophets. He liberated the Israelites from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. Camille Paglia would show her students a painting of an old man with a beard and a staff raised and a body of water parted before him. She says every year, fewer and fewer of her students know who that is. Our society used to be wrapped around uh, sectarian idiomatic expressions derived from the Bible. Now, as our society's gotten more secular, fewer people use words like propitiation and fewer people who are raised in the church know who Moses is or things like the parting of the Red Sea. Instead, they know what a birthing person is. They know what a pregnant person is. They know that uh, you get to pick your pronouns as your dramatic expression of individuality. And where a sin used to be based on the morals of the Ten Commandments, now the sin is not affirming someone where they are. If you don't use someone's proper pronouns, now you are committing grievous sin against that person. Ironically, the Christian religion is the one most compatible with science because it's the religion that believes life begins at conception and boys can't become girls, unlike the secular religion. But instead, now where scripture says God creates us in his image, made us male and female, secularism says we get to make ourselves in the image of our own preference. And if others don't recognize it and embrace it, they are committing sin. We see this playing out, and I'm telling you, it leads to violence. How does it lead to violence? Well, let's think about this. What is the Christian eschatology? The Christian eschatology is that uh, there's a heaven and a hell. God is real. There will come a last day, and those who believe in God go to heaven. Everybody else goes to hell, or at least is separated from the presence of God, depending on whether you think they all go to the lake of fire or not. We won't quibble with the details there. You know what I mean. What is secularism's eschatology? Well, secularism's eschatology is that this is the only world there is. We must bring heaven to this earth. But you can do everything right. You can give up your fossil fuel burning car. You can put a windmill in your backyard. You can have 1.5 children and be a vegan. But as long as your next door neighbor drives diesel and has five kids, you're still going to burn. The world is going to burn because of your neighbor. So your neighbor must be punished in some way through the state or otherwise. Years ago, the Islamic radicals attacked Charlie Hebdo's headquarters in Paris, killed all the people because they printed cartoons of Muhammad. I've long said the only difference between those Islamic radicals and leftists in America these days is the sword. Leftists will destroy your life, cancel you, ruin you for daring to defile them. But less and less does the sword divide them. 
The things of the world hate the things of God. The things of the world really hate the Dobbs decision. We're seeing uh, pregnancy centers firebombed. We're seeing attempted assassinations of Supreme Court justices. Now you play that in, we're disrupting the left sacrament of abortion and their new religion. We're disrupting their fundamental dogmatic belief that the world is going to end in 10 years when the Supreme Court uh, ruins the EPA with its uh, West Virginia versus EPA case. What are the environmentalists gonna do? They're already destroying train tracks around the country where oil companies uh, transport their oil because they don't have pipelines. What more are they going to do? We are seeing a secular religion emerge. It has its own mythologies. It has its own lexicon. It has its own eschatology. It has its anthems and hymns. It has its rituals and rites of passage to protest. It has its communal gatherings instead of church, the protests. You hear the speakers instead of the preachers. They're, they're, they're speaking and preaching on, on equality and progressivism. They have their own priests and high priests at Planned Parenthood and the drag queens. They have their own ritualistic ceremonies that you are supposed to attend to be part of them, including either having or paying for or supporting an abortion and going to a drag queen story hour. It is a religion. And unlike the Christian religion that moves about in the world unanchored from any geographic point and is not afraid of competition, all other religions desperately hate competition secular religion most of all. There will be no other gods before you except the gods of this world with a secular religion. And they will have, well, a whole lot of commandments, not just 10, because it's secularism. And in the end, it's going to lead to violence because they can't have their heaven on earth as long as you mouth breathers are out there daring to contradict them. The only religion on planet earth that has a concept of grace is the Christian religion. Secular religion, well, it doesn't have grace. It's got damnation for everyone unless they silence the heretics and the apostates. That's why this is not going to end well for all of us. Again, the very same people who are upset the Supreme Court just the other day ruled a coach can pray in the middle of a football field are the exact same people who think you're a bigot if you object to Drag Queen Story Hour. Why? Because it's their religion. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, 
They've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let me go to some phone calls here. People waiting patiently. And I'll spend the next little while on your phones. We only have a, we got a commercial break coming up. But let me see if I can get some in and we'll spend just the next half hour on your calls. Tom and Canton, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Thank you. Yep. What's going on? Hey, Tom, you, you got to repeat. You, you broke up right when you started talking. That's where I live at. On the uh, immigrants, I have friends that own farms and businesses. And as soon as what they'll do, they'll, they get what they call a work permit, come up for a certain period of time, do their 1099 so the employers don't have to deal with the taxes. Then they'll go back home and till the next season. And the majority of them, I found out, send most of what they make back to the to Mexico, mm-hmm. to the family and certain government projects like parks and recreation that they're big on. And yeah, I mean, it's it's people they just they they want to come here that they they fill a need in this country for for seasonal migrant work and then they go home. And I we we seems like we could structure an easy program to allow that to happen legally, uh, where they then go home and provide some accountability so they don't stay in the country. Uh, but the government's not doing that. They used to, but they don't anymore. Brad, you're going to be up next. Welcome, Brad. How are you? Oh, fine. How you doing? Good. Uh, I, I wanted to speak on the immigration as well. I own two companies in the uh, natural stone business, and I think there's just not a lot of people that want to do the work that needs to be done. It doesn't matter if it's lower wage or higher wage. I just can't find people paying a, a, a good wage and uh, or competitive wage. I can't find people to work. And one other thing, in my Tennessee operation, we actually use the H-2B program, and we get like 10 or 12 workers the last several years that come in, they get a federal ID number, they pay into the system, they work for us for 10 months and go back. But there's not enough of that because uh, it's kind of a lottery on the front end. You get into A or E. last couple of years, we were in the A and B group, and we got 10, 10 workers. This year we were in E and we didn't get any, so it, it's really hard to run a business to, and, and you can't get the workers you're expecting. And the first thing you have to do to qualify for the H-2B is advertise for those jobs in multiple uh, publications for multiple weeks. If you get too many applications, you don't even qualify. And there's been years where we put our ads in and we get one, two, three applicants is all we even get to even come in to see about the job. Good grief. So uh, something does need to be done. Some The, the H-2B needs to be expanded to allow more in. 
they wouldn't have to have the lottery. They'd allow more workers to come in. It would help us business owners dramatically. Yeah, look, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Brad, so often from so many business owners who they, they literally cannot find people to work in a way. And the, the solution from the left these days is, well, if you just paid a ton more money, you could. Well, then you would have to raise your prices and you'd go out of business because no one would be able to afford you. And that's the balancing act. People on the left who don't run businesses don't seem to understand that uh, you can only pay wages so high before you have to raise your rates. And then you raise your rates to a point where either you can't make any money or people can't afford to hire you anymore. That's the problem on the other side of the equation that people don't want to talk about. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. It is Eric Erickson. When we come back, I want to take a few more of your phone calls, and there's actually some data that has just hit uh, regarding, well, what the polls say. Democrats starting to go back into freakout mode despite Dobbs. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I would like to go back to the phones. I want to spend some time here with Warren now. Warren, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Eric, good afternoon. Actually, I happen to be a fan of yours for quite a while. Well, thank you. And actually, you should feel honored since this is the first ever phone call I've ever made. Well, there you go. Having said that, I was listening to your monologue, if you will, about Democrats driving moderates out. Uh-huh. And as I told your screener, as a moderate conservative, some people might call me a rhino, I'm more concerned about Republicans driving moderate Republicans out. Well, look, there's a concern there. And I get that, but let me ask you some questions. Um, So did you go to college? I did. Did you get a professional degree by chance? No, I didn't. Or graduate degree? Nope, nope, nope. Actually, I was dumb enough to quit, although I did get, uh, I was successful after that as an IT professional manager, et cetera. So you're in managerial, it was college degree managerial, you know, so you fit the demographic of the Republican who's worried about the Republicans who aren't moderate, uh, which is what the polling shows. Uh, But I will tell you, uh, increasingly in America, there are fewer of you than there are of the people who didn't go to college. And the people who didn't go to college are more annoyed with the progressive Democrats than they are with the conservative Republicans who kind of look like them and think like them and sound like them, even if they're Hispanic. Uh, So there is this great, you're part of the realignment of American politics right now. Uh, Unfortunately, as I I told your uh, screener again, I consider, and this goes way back, uh, Republicans are a minority party, i.e. they have less registered Republicans. Yes. And I think they need to win elections here in Georgia, around the country, other places. They need independents to vote for reasonable Republicans. Reasonable or not, they need independents. And I just think they're going to actually shoot themselves in the foot with the upcoming uh, midterm elections, not well, to mention whatever goes I, I, on in 2024. I would 2024. just tell you that the, the data disagrees with you on that. Uh, and, and the reason the data disagrees with you on that is is as much as you are concerned, as, and I am concerned, frankly, with the, the brand of crazy 
Uh, we're seeing even crop up with like the David Perdue supporters here in Georgia that turned out for him. Uh, what the data suggests is that even Hispanic voters in Georgia are moving to the GOP um, and are doing so at a rapid clip because they're more concerned with the Democrats being soft on crime and their progressive attitudes. So, for example, there's a poll out. It has hit. A Quinnipiac poll has come out that has Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, with a 10-point lead over Herschel Walker. And it has Brian Kemp tied with Stacey Abrams. There's a problem with the poll, however. Democrats in Georgia are telling people this ain't true. Even we're not seeing this. That it might be a five-point race between Warnock and um, Walker, and Kemp is leading Stacey Abrams, even in the Democrats' polls. Uh, look, I, we all get in our bubbles, and we all have anecdotes, and we all have people we don't like. The, the question is, what does the data actually show? Uh, and I want to I want to focus for just a minute before I get back to phone calls on this from um, from Charles Cook at National Review. The most famous scene in Peter Weir's hit movie, The Truman Show. Philip, have you seen The Truman Show? We, we need to watch The Truman Show if you haven't. That depicts Truman Burbank's wife, Meryl, who unbeknownst to him as an actress, growing alarmed by her husband's behavior, breaking the fourth wall in a panic and shouting, do something to the producers of the titular show who are hidden offset. Obliging her request, the producers immediately dispatch a neighbor, also an actor, to show up at Truman's front door, deus ex machina style, and defuse the situation. Who are you talking to? Truman asks Merrill before the neighbor arrives. Who indeed? For more than seven decades now, America's boundary-pushing progressives have chosen to behave like Merrill. Whenever things have gone south, they've cried, do something, and sure enough, the powers that be have usually sent someone over to fix the problem. At long last, in 2022, that pattern may be changing. Reflecting upon the Supreme Court's recent decisions, the economist Noah Smith observed last week that he viscerally did not realize just how much of America's liberalism over the last half decade depended on the single institution of the Supreme Court. Smith was onto something. Since the early 1950s, the American left has been in the bad habit of seeking from the federal judiciary what it cannot gain via democratic means. Sometimes, as in the case of NAACP versus Alabama, Brown versus Board, Loving versus Virginia, and others, its requests have been legitimate. By design, the Constitution contains some important counter-majoritarian provisions, and there's no shame whatsoever in using them. Mostly, however, they've been illegitimate. Roe v. Wade, Obergefell, Lemon v. Kurtzman, Regents of the University of California v. Bakke, Griswold v. Connecticut, Lee v. Weissman, etc. Progressives have treated the court as if there was a legislature whose job it was to start with a given outcome in mind and find the path to that outcome. Over time, progressivism's do-something attitude evolved beyond the court and into other institutions the American left announced it had colonized. In colleges, students who disliked hearing opinions with which they disagreed began to shout do something at administrators, and administrators began to silence them, silence those who opposed the opinions. In corporations, hysterical employees began to shout do something at HR flax when their coworkers displeased them, and HR flax began to reprimand the coworkers. Advocacy groups began to demand that journalists do something, in particular that journalists adopt their woke language, euphemisms, framing, and choice of villain, and to have their demands met without delay. 
In states and cities that they controlled from top to bottom, the makers of elite opinion began to ask prosecutors to ignore the laws they disliked and to watch as their requests were honored. Depending on the institution in question, the exact nature of the appeal to authority would change slightly, but in all the cases, the exception was the same. Expectation was the same, that somewhere lurking in the shadows was a powerful figure who could make the unwanted development go away. Now, here's the problem. The voters have now rebelled. The voters have rebelled, and there's no one coming to help the left. The voters have moved to the right. So Warren, who can worry about uh, the conservative Republicans being off-putting to people like him, he's probably not going to go vote for the progressive Democrats. And the moderate, hardworking Hispanic voters of the Democratic Party, they're tired of the rich white wokes in the Democratic Party. So they're moving to the right. So all of these people are moving to the right, which is going to, to some degree, have a moderating influence overall in the Republican Party, make people like Warren happy. But the conservatives are still going to run the roost. They're just going to have to temper themselves and recognize we got a bigger tent now. we got to compromise with our own side. Some of them will, some of them won't. That will cause them problems. But essentially what's happening is for years, the media has told us demography was destiny and the GOP was done for. And instead, what's happened is the demographic tide has turned against the Democrats, whereas the Democrats have become better educated, college educated, upper income white people. Black and Hispanic voters are leaving that party for the white working class that's taken over the GOP. We are in the midst of a political realignment in this country. It is literally happening before our eyes. We can have people, Republicans, all and say, well, I don't like the conservatives in my party. Those people are destined to become Democrats, more likely than not. And the Democrats who say they hate the progressives, well, they're more likely to become Republicans. We're seeing the crossing of paths in the suburbs and the exurban areas. It's happening before our eyes. It's fascinating to watch. And it's one reason so many of us, myself included, in 2016, just couldn't fathom that people would vote for Trump. It turned out that everybody hated Hillary Clinton, not just me. And in 2020, it kind of became obvious a lot of these people would vote for Biden because they thought he would return to normal. The problem is that Biden didn't, and now there will be a massive, massive, angry backlash against the Democrats for going so far left as opposed to returning to something that so many people thought was mainstream. Greg, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Hello? Hi there. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. I have a quick question about two Stacey Abrams commercials that are running right now. One of them is with someone purported to be a law enforcement officer named Dennis. Strange, Dennis doesn't have a last name or can be verified. Do you think it's an actor? Uh, if, if he's in uniform for sure, uh, if not, well, I, I've, he, only, he, I've only heard it on the radio. Okay. He, he may be, he may be real, but if so, he's probably in some progressive enclave. Um, uh, is this the one that that's against the concealed carry law? Uh, oh, she's of course. Got, yeah. She's, she's got that one trying to scare people. Here's the problem that it's not going to work. I mean, look at this, the, the Quinnipiac poll that even Democrats say is a bad poll. Don't believe it. Uh, has Abrams and Kemp tied. And if the Democrats themselves are openly saying Kemp's got at least a five-point lead, that's bad for the Democrats. And the reason it's bad for the Democrats is because in 2018, Brian Kemp, until the end of the election, never was tied or ahead of Stacey Abrams. He was always behind. 
And if he's tied in a poll that even Democrats say is too biased in their favor, that's really bad for the Democrats. And I think they know it, which is why Abrams keeps scrambling to try to modify her positions. She's modifying her abortion position today saying, well, I don't, I'm, I'm willing to do like a, a point of viability ban. Well, yesterday it was um, no abortion uh, ban at all abortion till birth. And now she's walking that back. She's trying to moderate her positions. And remember in 2018, Abrams was the one who said she would not moderate her positions. She would explain why her progressive values were good for people. She's not even trying that this time. Uh, Back to the phones. William, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Yes. uh, I was just going to touch back on what that uh, guy earlier was talking about the uh, H2B bill. We've been going through the same scenario and it's just like you're describing. Nobody wants to work. Even if we've increased our wages, up $4 and when it originally was. So trying to go through the government's website of flagdol.org, we've been going on 16 months now, just trying to get a couple employees and it has been the most frustrating thing in the world. And we keep getting rejected for the smallest little uh, minute details. And it's so frustrating. The government does not make any of this stuff easy at all. Um, and that is such a frustrating frustrating part of everything that you guys in business are dealing with. And so many of the people in government right now, William, they're not even, uh, they've never worked in the private sector. I want you to listen to Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation. Is the July 4th holiday a recipe for disaster given the issues with the system right now? There are going to be challenges, but we're watching it closely and we're talking to the airlines every day about their responsibility uh, to make sure that they can accommodate any uh, issues that weather or other curveballs might throw at them. A lot of people, including me, uh, are expecting to get to, to loved ones over this holiday weekend. And we need a system that is resilient enough to get them there, plus good customer service when an issue does come up. Okay, there are are a couple of things to point out here. Uh, This is the Secretary of Transportation. He's largely blaming airlines for uh, layoffs during the pandemic. And that's a fair criticism that they did lay off a lot of people during the pandemic. They didn't expect business to bounce back as quick as it did. But also, uh, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, should know that the FAA itself is understaffed right now. And that's his problem. That's not the private sector's problem. That's the government's problem. And the bureaucratic backlog that uh, he and the government have inspired is wrecking havoc on airlines, the airline industry, the travel industry right now. It's a mess unless you're going to a commonly traveled tourist destination in this country, you're going to have a lot of problems right now flying places. Everybody's running into this sort of stuff. And the government does have something to do with it. And yet all you can get out of Pete Buttigieg is blaming the private sector when, yes, there are problems there. But the government played a big role in those problems. Now, one of the problems you may have is actually stinky air in your house. You know, I, I talk about how the Eden Pure Thunderstorm eliminates odors. It's actually an air purifier. So if you got mold or mildew, if you've got pollen, if you've got dust, it cleans the air. And it's filterless. You just wipe it out on occasion. And so you don't have to get a filter subscription. But the big thing with it, the important thing with it, is that it also eliminates odors. You can put it in your car, for example, if you've if you've left, say, fish in your car or you got uh, smoke odors or pet odors in your car or something, you can plug it in with a USB cord. If you got a USB outlet in your car, it'll work off the USB outlet and you just turn it on, turn your car on, turn it on, walk away, leave it for a little while, it'll wipe out the odors. 
if you got a stinky hotel room, if you travel, I keep one in my suitcase for that. Uh, smoke odors in a hotel room, it'll wipe those out. Uh, right now, you get three of them, one for your upstairs, one for your downstairs, one for your basement, or you keep it in your suitcase like I do, and just take it with you. It's small. You can hold it in your hand, plug it directly into the wall, or you use USB cable. You get rid of the dust. You get rid of the pollen. You get rid of the odors. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code is ERIC3. You get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. For less than $200, you're saving $200, and you get free shipping. The website, again, is EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. You will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I got to tell you a, well, story. Remember the Flint water situation in Michigan? This is, it really is outrageous. Uh, the Flint, Michigan water situation was terrible. Contaminated water, people died. Uh, the attorney general at the time uh, helped oversee cases against 15 state and local officials for crimes as serious as involuntary manslaughter, worked through a grand jury, and got indictments against 15 state and local officials. And then Dana Nessel was elected, a progressive. She was elected, and she wanted all the credit for it. So she dismissed all of the cases that her predecessor had gotten and then filed new charges against several of the same officials and then went after a bunch of Republicans. And she did so without a grand jury. She got a Democratic judge to do the indictments. And the Michigan Supreme Court has unanimously thrown out all the cases. This is from the uh, one of the opinions, the concurrence from Judge Bernstein. The Attorney General invoked obscure statutes to deprive the defendants of their statutory right to a preliminary examination. A preliminary examination functions as a screening device to ensure there's a basis for holding a defendant to face a criminal charge. Our court rules state a defendant is entitled to subpoena and call witnesses, offer proof, and examine and cross-examine witnesses. Clearly, and as the court's decision aptly recognizes, a preliminary examination serves a crucial function for criminal defendants in an adversarial system. It allows defendants to learn about the specific criminal charges they face confront allegedly incriminating evidence and prepare a defense. The prosecution argues that the legislature through the statute in question has given it the discretion to opt out of a preliminary examination as the prosecution did here. The assertion is alarming and were true, the prosecution would have the power to decide whether to grant a defendant permission to probe and challenge charges against them before being formally indicted. Such a notion runs afoul of the basic notions of fairness. Put simply, the prosecutor's power to charge individuals and haul them into court is constrained by preconditions. We recognize today that under the circumstances, one of those preconditions is required by statute, a preliminary examination. The prosecution can't cut corners in order to prosecute defendants more efficiently. So the Attorney General of Michigan, after all the outrage over the Flint, Michigan water stuff, you remember this, I'm sure. It was a big national story. 
She threw out all the cases that the her predecessor gotten because he was a Republican, brought some of them back so she could take credit, and then organized essentially a, a witch trial for a bunch of Republicans and the Supreme Court, even Democrats on the Michigan Supreme Court says, you can't do this. You violated their due process and Michigan state law. And all those cases are thrown out. No justice for the people of Flint because that AG wanted a grandstand. 